In the spring of 1970, the Apollo 13 mission to the moon was supposed to land a, a spacecraft on the surface of the moon and examine a particular crater, get some samples and some scientific research. And as you may know, either from one of the movies or from reading about it, Apollo 13 uh, never made it to the moon. Two days into their mission, they experienced some technical difficulties in an oxygen tank that not only threatened the air that they would breathe for their whole mission, but their engines and the way they would navigate and get around and come back eventually to Earth as they had planned. They were 200,000 miles from the Earth when this happened, and they were already in the gravitational pull of the moon. They couldn't figure out what to do at first, but they knew the mission had to change. And the solution that they found was surprising. And it's related to our passage today as we continue our series in, called The God of the Groaning in Exodus. Throughout the first 20 or so chapters of Exodus, we're going to skim through. And today we're looking at chapter 3, verses 7 through 12 of Exodus. This is the, the, the second part of just the beginning of Moses' conversation with God when he comes down in the burning bush. It's the beginning of a longer conversation where God has to persuade Moses to go where God wants him to go. Where Moses asks a lot of questions and puts up a, a lot of hurdles. And it's also, though, the beginning of, of Moses' greatness and the deliverance of God's people. As the Lord interacts with Moses and Moses begins to realize that his mission has to change. So if you would please read with me Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. This is God's word. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, uh, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me, and furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now. And I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you. 
and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. This is God's word. Lord, would you meet us here today as you have promised uh, when we are gathered together to be with us in a special way. Lord, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to your word. Let it be more than ink on paper, uh, more than pixels on the screen, more than sound waves bouncing off of our eardrums. Lord, transform our hearts, reach within us, affirm your call upon our lives. Change our mission as we understand it, if you must. And we know that is probably for the best. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the solution for the Apollo 13 mission, as they were up there 200,000 miles from Earth, stuck in the gravitational pull of the moon, uh, the solution they came up with, in fact, uh, because uh, a huge part of that was one of the astronauts who was not able to go on the mission the last minute because he had been exposed to German measles. Uh, he's the one who passed away just a week or so ago. Uh, Mattingly, I think was his name. Uh, he was on the ground in mission control as they tried to help those astronauts stuck in space. The solution they came up with became known as the free return trajectory. And the idea is that you use the moon's gravity that's pulling the ship in with just a little bit of, of, of the oxygen in the, the engines, just a tiny bit that you would then kind of slingshot back. You would wrap around the moon but not get sucked in enough that it would send you back out. In other words, the moon that they were going to study the object of their research became the means of their deliverance. Their mission changed from staying here and studying this to going back home. And they did make it home safely, not without some suffering and challenges, obviously. But this, that picture fits so well with what it seems to me the Lord is doing here with Moses as he pulls him near to the burning bush and says, you're here on holy ground. He doesn't say, stay here, you know, camp out. <clears throat> he says, I'm, I'm drawing you near because I want to send you back out. You're out here in the middle of nowhere and I want to get your attention because you've kind of made a mess of your life. You started to do what I wanted you to do, but you did it in the wrong timing, in the wrong way. And I'm going to send you back that you're going to return on a path that's familiar, but also pretty different. And for Moses, that path would take him full circle. He'd go back to Egypt. He'd have to confront Pharaoh and not the one that he fled from, but the next Pharaoh, still the most powerful leader in that region. And he would have to lead the people of God out of slavery in Egypt, which is what he wanted to do originally when he, he got into the altercation and wound up killing an Egyptian. We read about back in chapter 2. But now Moses would do it with the Lord at his side and not in his own strength. Now Moses would do it with faith in the Lord and not fear in his circumstances. 
And this is what happens, and one of the, the images I want to stick in your minds is that when you draw near to God, your mission will change. It has to change because when you're further away from God, you have less understanding of who he is and what he wants. But as you draw near, you realize the best path for you is always going to be where God sends you. And it's the only path for you, really, that's going to lead you home, that's going to lead you to peace, that's going to feel familiar, and in fact, will most likely resonate very deeply within you and find, you'll find that it's answering the things you, you always long for, answering the questions you didn't even know you had but realized really matter, and many other things along those lines. And, and what it means, though, is that you've, you've got to recognize that for the, to get the mission accomplished, you have to embrace the reality that success is going to look different than what you thought. It's going to come about in different ways than you originally planned. And, and that means that, that success, first of all, which you need to know, is more about Yahweh than you. Success is going to be more about Yahweh, the Lord. And we talked about that personal name in previous times. But it's more about Yahweh, the Lord, than, than you. And the main reason that's got to be true is that the problems are bigger than you. Look at what Moses faced here in verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I'm aware of their sufferings. Verse 9. Behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. The people of, of God, the, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had started off in Egypt as a relief from famine and had wound up multiplying and, and becoming a threat to the existing power structures and they enslaved them, put taskmasters over them to beat them and tried to kill them forcing them to expose their own children to death from which Moses was delivered and wound up in Pharaoh's household. And so when, when you think about uh, something like that, I mean, you talk about some sort of systemic problem, right? This is a huge problem with a very powerful government headed by one person in particular who people believed was a god. Pharaoh. Those are the kind of problems that you got to believe are bigger than you. Right? And Moses took things into his own hands at the wrong time and, and found out the hard way it really is bigger than me, and he ran for his life. The problems in your life might not be this form and this level of injustice, though you probably experience injustice. They're probably not a degree of oppression that the people of God experienced, but you've probably experienced similar forms of abuse or know people who have. You've suffered at the hands of the world, bad bosses, mean people, corrupt leaders. You've suffered 
the opposition of the devil, and you've been suffering under your own broken desires for your entire life. In fact, I think it is those broken desires and those internal battles that in many ways are harder for us to resolve because it seems like we should be able to handle them. But we need to admit that those internal desires are just as bad as any form of external oppression. They're just as hard to fight as the Pharaoh in our own hearts and lives. They're often harder, in fact, because we tend to hide them and and, and deny that we have any problems. We're embarrassed by the fact that we did that stupid thing again that we said we would never do again. We promised up and down and we put in all kinds of safeguards to keep us from and yet we did it again. And so we want to turtle down and hide, giving in to the temptations and covering them up makes it even harder to admit that the problems are bigger than you. And the solution is that you you need to realize it's more about Yahweh. It's more about the Lord than you. You're not going to find help otherwise. The good news is that the Lord, Lord is the only one who can help. And He's in fact willing to do that and more. The Lord is the only one who can help. And He will do more than that. Look at verse 8. He says to Moses, after reciting those problems in verse 7, I, so therefore I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. God says, I'm going to come down and deliver them. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to set them free. But there's more. He keeps going. And bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place that's really good, that is full of all kinds of good things. You know, that, that's, that's the way the Lord works, right? And, and you don't begin to see that until you realize that it's more about the Lord than you. That He, he, he not only can help, but he, he not only wants to help, but He wants to make things even better. He's never only merely about rescuing you from the problems. He's never merely about saving you from drowning or getting you out from the oppression. He's always interested in doing that and setting you in a new path, putting you in a good place, leading you from places of starvation to green pastures, from places of thirst to living waters and streams that flow, from... Uh, dirt to milk and honey. That's, That's the overarching pattern of who He is. That's what history and His Word have demonstrated again and again that He's about bringing you out into something better. Something way better. And part of the help that He offers in making that transition is setting you on a new path. You know, a path of, of hope. A path of, of life. Where you can actually do meaningful things. Where you have a sense of, of purpose. And, and that you matter. And to recognize that, you not only need to understand that you know, the success is going to be more about Yahweh than you. 
But the success is, is more about faith than sight. Your success is going to be more about faith than sight. And the first thing that means is not that you're going to get whatever you want. It's going to be all you know, sunshine and rainbows and everything, right? It means that you need to trust the Lord's direction. That's the first thing about faith as you embrace it's more about the Lord than you is to recognize it's more about faith and that faith calls me to trust the Lord's direction. Look at verse 10. After, after no indication of what was coming, right? The Lord's saying emphatically, you know, I've seen the problems. It's really bad. It's worse than I think you imagine, Moses. I've seen them crying out their suffering. I'm going to come down and deliver them. I have come down to deliver them, right? This, Moses, I could see going, yeah, okay, that's great, super. But then you get to verse 10. And the Lord says, therefore, come now. You know, behold, look, look, pay attention. I'll send you to Pharaoh. I don't know, I can picture Moses like, what, 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 wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You said you came down to deliver them. What do you, wait, what, what? I imagine you probably didn't even hear these next words till later on. I, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Can you imagine that? Was, Moses made a mess of his life. Stop thinking of Moses, you know, Charlton Heston, Moses, whatever movie you've watched, Moses with the gray hair, the Ten Commandments, right? This is, this is pre-all of that. This is Moses messed up, probably, you know, out in the wilderness, disheveled, hair going every which way. You know, the only resource he has right now with him, I don't think his family's with him as he's tending the sheep far away in the middle of the wilderness, right? At the, at the foot of Mount Sinai where nothing yet has happened significantly. This is before he leads the people out. By God's grace, he's probably got a staff. It's literally all he's got. The sheep aren't his, they're his father-in-law's. And he's there 40 years after he made a mess of his life. He had so much going for him. Raised in Pharaoh's household, miraculously adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, uh, trained up and educated, ate well, and blew it all. In about two days, as we talked about last week. And the Lord comes to him, pulls him in with this burning bush, and says, I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to send you to free my people. And Moses, Moses apparently can't imagine that. Verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I? I'm not sure the tone there. I could think of several different tones. <laughs> Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Such a, just a little comment that he makes there. And the underlying mindset that, that right here is a turning point for faith. You know, at some point, we get to that point where we say, you know, I believe my problems are bigger than me. And, you know, we're willing to admit we need help. But that's, that's not the end, right? 
A lot of times the greatest temptation as we, as we believe that, as we begin to understand how, how much of a mess we've made of our lives or whatever, is to then maybe become a little passive. And we know we need God's help, but we haven't quite trusted Him enough. So basically what we say is to God, kind of prove it. Okay, God, deliver me. I'm sitting here. You ever hear that story about, you know, the floods coming and there's lots of rain and, and there's a guy and, you know, they, they send, um, they send the, the sheriffs out to his house and say, you got to evacuate. You know, bad storm's coming. This whole area is going to be flooded. He says, no, I'm going to be all right. I'm praying to God, you know, and then the water calms. And so then, you know, there's enough water that they come on a boat and the sheriff says to him, you know, you need to get out of there. You need to evacuate. It's going to flood's going to come even higher. The water's just going to keep rising. You got to get out of here. And he says, no, I'm going to be all right. I'm praying to God. I'm trusting God. And then the water comes even higher and he's finally on the top of his roof, hanging out in the last dry area within miles and they send a helicopter and they drop a ladder and there's someone standing there and they say come on you know you got to get out of here this is, the, the water is not going to let down you're going to drown man come on he says no i'm trusting god i'm praying and he dies drowns he gets to heaven and he says god why didn't you save me i was praying to you and God says, look, I sent you a guy in a Jeep. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. <laughs> you know? This is the turning point of faith where you got to recognize that maybe God is, is asking you to engage more than just even, even just prayer, but maybe even a little more than um, then that really what the issue becomes is a true confidence that what the Lord is directing you to is the right thing. That walking by faith, not by sight, means you're going to trust His direction. Even when maybe you think He's going to work in a different way. And I don't know what the guy thought. It's a joke. It didn't really happen, right? It's a silly story. But, you know, what was the expectation that, that God was going to send some sort of angel to pick him up and deliver him out of this, right? God very often works in ordinary means. And if we understand that it's more about him than us, walking by faith says, you know what? I'm going to look for him to work. I'm going to believe he's actually going to work. I'm going to keep my eyes open for where he is working. And see, more than myself, more than the situation and the problems all around me, I'm going to actually bring the Lord into the moment. And that would mean praying. right? That would mean looking at His Word and His directions that are in there. That would mean getting help from His people and sharing parts of your life. If your problems are bigger than you, they're going to be bigger than just you and you praying, and you, and you reading. There, there's no lone rangers. That doesn't work. You need other people in your life, other Christians, other believers, other people as committed to this faith journey as you are, or more so. So yes, pray. Look at his word. Get 
help open that up. And I don't just mean to anybody, find trusted people as we've talked about in the last several weeks. That that's the Lord's direction. There's more than that, though. And what that leads to is that we have to believe in his presence. It's directly related where, you know, the, the Lord here doesn't answer Moses' question. Moses says, who am I? And the Lord doesn't say, yeah, Moses, you know what? You know, I, 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 I did a, a, a Myers-Briggs personality test on you when you weren't looking. And, you know, I knew that I needed a leader who was, you know, extroverted and, you know, was compassionate. You know, it's like the Lord, you know, he doesn't say, Moses, yeah, you know, uh, this is why you meet my qualifications. He doesn't even go there. Where does the Lord go in answer to Moses' question, who am I? In verse 11, the Lord says in verse 12, what? Certainly I will be with you. That's the answer. In other words, what? Moses, it does not matter who you are. It matters who I am, the Lord says. Then I am the God who who will be with you. It's about Yahweh more than Moses. The Lord just said, right? I have seen the affliction, the suffering of my people. I've seen their oppression and the way that their taskmasters are abusing them. He, he just said he's aware of all that. He says he's come down to deliver them. And he's basically saying, look, I meant what I said, Moses. I'm not going anywhere. I will deliver them. And you will be a key part of that. If you will trust me. If you, Moses, will go where I tell you to go. If you'll say what I tell you to say. If you will believe my promises and who I say that I am. But just to encourage Moses, the Lord gives him a sign that he could know that the Lord has sent him. Verse 12 continues, This shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Remember, the burning bush is there uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai, probably somewhere in the Mount Sinai region. And they're talking about that mountain. The Lord is saying, this is, you're going to bring them out. So here's the sign, Moses, that I've sent you. When you go to Egypt and you have the confrontation with Pharaoh and you lead my people out all these days journey into the wilderness, and you're going to come here to this mountain and worship me. I love this passage. Because again and again, it reminds me that Number one, the Lord's kind of funny. Because he's saying, I'll give you a sign. And the sign comes at that end. When do you want a sign? <laughs> now, right? I thought his mother would be like, wait a minute. No, no, how about now? You know, do something like now. And the Lord says, look, here's how you're going to know. Step out in faith. Go do what I'm telling you to do. Listen to what I'm saying and believe my promises and that I'm going to be with you. And when you're at the end, then you'll know. Man, I love that verse because that's so true. Look back on your life. When? How do you know the whole Christian thing, the whole God thing, the whole Jesus thing is true? Right? It's not because God shows up right now and goes, poof! 
you know, or because you're gullible and just silly, you know it's true. And you have those moments of affirmation when you look back and you go, there is absolutely no way I could have done that. There's no way she could have done that. There's no way that could have happened. But we, you, it's those times when you joke and you say, wow, you know, maybe there really is a Holy Spirit. Like when we plan worship services and the song at the end of the sermon that neither Justin and I can remember who picked out. And it just fits so well. And we go, wow, it's almost as if God were working in these things and we didn't even realize it, right? We say that kind of silly and ironically because we believe that, but we forget it. And that's the, one of the beauty we keep hitting this theme lately of just reflecting, looking back. You know, there's a lot of hard stuff. There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of suffering. And there's a lot of God in that. If we'll look with those eyes of faith, believing that whether I realized it at the time or not, that God was truly at work. He sent the guy on, you know, in the Jeep, he sent the guy on the boat, he sent the helicopter, right? And if, if, if it didn't work well, more often than not, it's probably something I missed. And if it was really devastating at the time, it's probably something that God has since worked out even better than I thought it could. It's not until the end of the journey. It's not until the mission is, is about accomplished that you have that kind of certainty. You know, that's, that's what it means to walk by faith. It means life is going to press in. That stuff's going to be really messed up and messy. That things are going to happen that you can't make sense of. That you absolutely would not prefer. That you don't know what God is doing or how it's going to turn out. And you still take the next step. You look at his word, you pray, you talk to his people. And at the end, you don't have that doubt. You believe his presence makes all the difference. If you think about that with, with Moses, here's here's. Here's the thing to realize that the Lord wasn't waiting around for a great guy like Moses to show up. The Lord wasn't like, keep waiting, keep waiting. Wow, yeah, you know, I'd really like to deliver my people, but I just haven't seen anybody that really fits the qualifications yet. I'll just keep waiting. Hmm. Now, look at that little baby. Somebody just saved that little baby out of the Nile River. That's pretty interesting. That's one of my people, but they're getting to grow up in Pharaoh's household. I wonder what they'll turn out with. Forty years later. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I had hopes for Moses, but dude just took matters into his own hands, killed that Egyptian guy. I'm not okay with that. Oh, look, now he's running away. He's hiding out in the wilderness. Hmm. 40 years later. Oh, maybe now he's learned his lesson. Now I'll go talk to him. God wasn't waiting for Moses, for a great guy like Moses. The Lord showed up to make Moses a great guy. 
The ground where that tree was was not holy until the Lord showed up. Then it became holy ground. It became set apart. Moses was not holy until he came near to the Lord, until the Lord drew him near and made him acceptable. But even then, the Lord said, you got to stay back a little bit. Take your shoes off. Don't come any closer because I'm just that holy. I will destroy you, Moses. Come close enough. But don't just stay here. Come close enough and I will send you out. And if you believe I am with you, that's really the only safeguard we have in all of this. Arrogant Christianity is just so utterly ridiculous to think that you're something special because you figured it out or whatever it is that has people so proud that they would condemn other people. It just makes no sense. What makes you special is that though you were created in the image of God, made in his likeness, and you chose to use that for your own evil purposes, to do your own selfish things, and that God would come near and interrupt all of that and say, I got a different plan for your life. By the way, you know, you're drinking salt water. You're going to be thirsty all the time. Let me satisfy you with living water. Let me set you on a path where there's meaning and purpose. Let me bring you into a, a, a relationship with other human beings that's based on just unconditional love and grace put you in a community where that is what we're about the only way you can maintain the only way you can build any of those things is to recognize that that you know what that the only thing that that makes us special is that god chose to take an interest in us that god tapped us on the shoulder no i mean i think he slapped me across the back of the head because i was running away right just bang knocked me down continues to have to do that too. to say listen i want more for you i have a better plan for you you know you haven't reached the end of your mission you have not gotten to the end you know, you can look back and see some of it. There's so much, though, that's not going to make sense. And maybe it will someday. But one thing we have seen, though, is pretty much effectively the end of Jesus' mission in a lot of ways. Right? Where he came from heaven to earth. Right? What did, what did he do? He made it more about Yahweh than himself. The problems he came to solve were bigger than anyone else could solve and he himself being God could take those on. And yet even in that, he kept to the direction of the Lord, battling Satan with verses from Deuteronomy, walking that path even when his human nature would prefer anything else that this cup might pass Nevertheless, he said, my, not my will, but yours be done. He walked by faith, not by sight. Through that path, trusting the Lord's direction. Because you and I don't. Unless we trust him. Because you and I won't. 
unless we will yield to him. Because that's the problem, is that we make it more about us than God. We want to fit him in where he fits in, conveniently maybe when we need him. And what he's asking for here is us to trust him. Let the Lord draw you near. You know, really, if you take nothing else away today than that, open up to the Lord. Draw near to Him. Consider where He's at work in your life, even if it's just a tiny little glimmer of light. Try to get closer to it. Look at it more closely. Look look at His Word, the Bible, and ask Him. Ask Him to... To give you a better direction. Because I'm telling you, is, is there anyone in here who thinks I'm on the perfect path? There is nothing in my life I would want to change. Everything's just boom. If you are, talk to me after the service because I, you know, I'm, I either want to learn from you or tell you you're absolutely wrong. One or the other, I don't know. God is coming to you and saying that's what he wants. He wants a better path for you. And he draws you in to then send you out. And that's where the energy comes from because you're like that broken Apollo 13 rocket ship, right? You, you, you're, you're too far gone. And you're drifting in another direction. And the only way you're going to get back home is to have someone else come in and intercede, missing control to give you some wisdom and, and, and to redirect you. And in fact, the, the analogy blows up, the illustration blows up there, right? Because who's drawing you near, you know, is, is God. And he's going to send you back out on this path. Will you make it more about him than you? Will you walk by faith not by sight. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you did these things and that your word has revealed it to us that we can look back and see if not exactly the end of the mission, enough of its trajectory and its path to say, Lord, we want to be a part of that and that what you have shown us so far says we can be that you want better for us, that you want to give us purpose and meaning. You want to set us free from what has ensnared us and oppressed us and broken us. You want to heal us and not only set us free, but bring us to a better place. Individually, you want to bring us to a better place. You want to bring us to better places as families, as a church family, Lord, as, as communities. You are a God who does those very things. Lord, seal that truth to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.